Hi, Eugene. Hi, Eugene. You already and know. And also, anyone else oh, yeah. who might be listening. Yeah, anybody, any of our other longtime followers who might or might not still be around. I don't know. I see some of them talking about how they need to get caught up, but um, I don't know how many are actually caught up. Yeah, I mean, fair. Yeah. Like, this is like low on the podcast priority list. Yeah, I mean, this this is the kind of show that if you're not caught up, all you're missing are where some of the jokes came from. Some of our long-running good goofs, where we're just stealing we, jokes we really, from other things. We really haven't had that many running jokes lately. Hmm. Like, yeah, I guess the stuff we're watching isn't funny enough. Yeah, like it's not because, like, most of the, I think most of our running jokes come from things that are bad, and we haven't watched that much bad stuff. Yeah, I think the last one I can remember is all the Jedi from <laughs> when we yep. watched Star Wars late last year. <clears throat> yep, all the Jedi, um, blah baiting the wasp. Stuff like that. Yeah, it, it yeah. Comes Bobby from and the things we're making fun of. Old, yeah. I, mean, I mean, well, then there's also some good jokes that we just steal, like the um, uh, uh, the don't want to cure cancer. I want to turn people into dinosaurs. <laughs> exactly. Which I've actually I've, I've started listening to uh, this podcast called The Flop House, and Elliot Kalen, one of the guys on that show, is the one who wrote that line because he wrote that comic. That is amazing. Yeah. Who, who's listening to us? Go listen to that person. Yeah. No, yeah, it's called The Flop House. They watch usually bad movies, sometimes new movies, if the movies are going to be, you know, somewhat either bad or controversial. Like, they've watched Star Wars, they've watched Cats, um, but a lot of the stuff they watch, it's, <laughs> it's more like, like Red Letter Media's Half in the Bag. Or not, not Half in the Bag. Half in the Bag's their new show. Um, best of the worst where they're watching just like really like cheesy low budget like 80s and 90s movies oh those are the best yeah like t and movies that play on tnt yeah yeah i remember when i used to watch tv mm. and therefore bad movies um relatively often yeah i actually watched a bad made for tv movie within I don't know if it was in the last two weeks or the last three. The last two weeks are kind of a blur because I had inventory where I work a couple weeks ago and this past week I had to work one overnight shift so that's kind of thrown off my sense of time even more. Um, inventory sucks. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a thing that maybe a lot of people don't have to deal with but... The two of us specifically do in different capacities, but yeah, I mean yeah. it's just it's a lot of counting and like a month of prep work to get everything countable before you have to do the counting. Yeah, but but yeah, I I am dreading January <laughs> mm. because that, that's when we do it. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, yeah, there's a store wide inventory, but there's also my part of the store has a quarterly inventory. Oh, that but it's sucks. it's only it's only my department really that I have to worry about, and I'm you know I I keep that shit organized all the time anyway. So 
it's just a kind of an annoyance for a day. Um, but yeah, no, so I, sometime in the recent past, um, I watched on Amazon Prime, I don't know why, I was just browsing stuff, I guess, and I watched, like, the third or fourth of the Librarian movies, which are, like, a <laughs> made-for-TNT Indiana Jones yeah. thing. Um, See, that, that that's, that's like, specifically <laughs> what I was thinking of. Hmm. Yeah, the one I was watching, like, I don't remember what the gimmick was, but it had vampires, because there were these people trying to bring Dracula back to life, except he was already secretly alive and living in Louisiana. And they go to... Of course. Yeah, it's, like, they're in New Orleans, <laughs> and the librarian guy meets this woman, and it turns out she's a vampire, and also that Dracula's a vampire disguised as an old bookseller who gets, like, recruited by the bad guys to, you know, they're, they're trying to resurrect Dracula with this, like, magic chalice or something. But actually, he's just playing them all because he's Dracula and they don't know it. Um, and so for a made-for-TV movie, it wasn't bad. Like, it was kind of fun. Um, I had to look because I, I didn't know for sure. I, I thought it's, like, the budget on this seems weird. It's, it's bigger than a low-budget movie but not as big as a theatrical movie. And so I wondered if it was a TV thing, and then when it faded to black at one point, that's when I knew, yeah, that there was a commercial break in this movie. Yeah, it's... It, it's like one of those things where, like, you, you can see the special effects. They're, they're, like, good enough to where they actually had a budget behind them, but not good enough to where they aren't extremely obvious. Yeah. Yeah. That's TV for you. Yeah. It's like even even like relatively high budget things like The Walking Dead. Mm. It's like very obvious special effects. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and although it seems like TV is kind of split. In, you know, like I'm <clears throat> sure there are still shows like the old TV shows where like it feels... Like TV, you know, like that that budget thing. It feels like that. Like, you can still kind of see a budget difference between theatrical and like HBO Game of Thrones style TV, like the premiere TV. I guess yeah, is the name like, for it. But because um, also in the you know since I had that overnight shift, I, I had some time to kill trying to like find something to pass the time before I had to sleep so I could wake up at night and then. Anyway, I ended up watching both seasons of Amazon's The Tick, and that show, it's fun, but also it, it's it's weird, because it's like, it feels like, stylistically, they're trying to go for that kind of premiere TV, you know, there's like drama and character development and stuff to keep you hooked, but also it still has that, um, like, farcical, um superhero spoof kind you know it's very aware of the tropes of superhero stuff and it's playing with those so it's funny but it was also kind of serious and so in that way it's like i liked it but i don't think i like it as much as the old patrick warburton uh, you know the previous live action one that they did that was just a straight comedy that was like yeah completely silly the but I didn't the really watch the cartoon show... and 
I, I don't know if the... I, I think I saw a couple episodes of the cartoon, and I think that did stray more into being, like, as serious as Batman animated or X-Men animated, while also being a joke. Yeah, it... The tick was like, uh, if you combined um, Freakazoid and Batman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, because they had done a live-action tick in, like, 2001 or something. It only got one season, but it had Patrick Warburton as the tick. And it was just comedy all the way through. Yeah, it was... It I haven't watched it in forever. Hmm. But I remember being, like, very low-key... Um, mm. like at, at least uh, Warburton's performance, yeah. like as the tick, yeah. he, it was it was like he seemed almost bored with what he, with what he was doing. Yeah, I mean, he seems like he does in most of the roles he does. Yeah, like when he's playing Kronk it, or Joe or uh, Buzz Lightyear, it just it's all the same voice. Yeah, like he has a very low droning voice. Yeah. So with that very like overconfident, jovial attitude. Yeah, and then he does Brock Sam Brock Samson, and he just screams his lungs out every <laughs> few minutes when he goes into a murderous rage. Mm. But anyway, um, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Should we talk about that first? Or? Um, sure. Um, I don't know what else there is to say about, like, the most successful mm. uh, movie trilogy ever. just recite memes for an hour? <laughs> oh, what memes are there from Lord of the Rings? Mm. Except for every other line. Mm. I'm taking the hobbits to Isengard. <laughs> I... I watched all all the like old YouTube video. Mm. That video has been on YouTube longer than I have been on the internet. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah. I think like Lord of the Rings, just the time it came out, you know, two thousand one to two thousand three. It was like the early days of like internet communities, like outside of you know forums and stuff, where it was in the nineties. Yeah, was, like YouTube was starting to become a thing, and so. Lord of the Rings was around that time. And I, honestly, we're taking uh, they're taking the Hobbit's eyes and guard kind of bops. So mm. like Yeah, it was like I I don't know the origin of is was that a, did it start as a YouTube video or did it start as one of those like you're the man now dog pages <laughs> where you just go there and it just plays this one clip over and over. I I watched the video, the oldest one, that's from, like, 2006. Okay. And it says, not my video, so I'm, I'm assuming that it was, like, a file that was... Okay, yeah, so it's probably either, like, a Newgrounds or a You're the Man Now Dog thing. Yeah. And then there's, there's one of the oldest memes from the early 2000s, which is, <laughs> one does not simply walk into Mordor. Mm. Yeah, or just one does not simply blank. Yeah, my f- my favorite is one does not simply rock into Mordor, yeah. and it's uh, he's playing an electric guitar, mm. and they give him like like hair metal be- uh, hair, 
Yeah, I mean, I guess like, hobbits are naturally musically inclined, so it's possible they could have won the orcs over with song and just danced their way to the volcano. Well, if I've learned one thing playing Shadow of War, um, it's that some orcs are also musically inclined and think they're think that they're threatening mm. <laughs> they're like playing a, a very soothing limerick on a on a lute yeah and if i've learned one thing from playing return of the king it's that sam could have taken down every one of those orcs in that tower <laughs> if they hadn't taken each other all out completely yeah that, I, i'd forgotten how i thought he had to do more stealth to get through there but no the like a fight breaks out over frodo's mithril vest and by the time Sam gets in the tower, everyone is dead, except for, like, one patrol of guards on the stairs. Yeah. He, like... He, like, shoves one orc, like, off a, off a ledge or something, and then he he just kills three in a row. Yeah. Like, by, by like, bottlenecking them on the stairs. Yeah. But... To be fair... But in the video game, he single-handedly slaughtered every single one of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With a little sword and some throwing <laughs> knives. And like, dipping the, pots of boiling oil over on them. I I love the Return of the King game. Because it, it is it is such like a, a movie version of a game, mm. but... Yeah, it's just like a like, beat-em-up through the movie locations. Yeah. But they... They... Ch- <laughs> They change so much in hilarious ways. Like um, the the final the final boss is um, Frodo against Gollum, mm. and he, he fucking down smashes Gollum <laughs> into, the, into the fires of Mount Doom. <laughs> also, that Return of the King game was my first. Like I, I was aware of Lord of the Rings. But I hadn't seen any of the movies, so then my cousin got the Return of the King game and wanted to play co-op, and that was my first exposure to Lord of the Rings, and what got me to go you rent the, the movies fu- and actually watch them and love them. You want to know the funny, th- the funny thing? Same. Same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was the first like fantasy game I've ever played. I think actually, mm. like like high fantasy game, not like fantasy in general, because that that. It's just way too wide a net, but... Yeah, I think I played some Legend of Zelda before that, but... I didn't, and I still haven't. Mm. No, you were a PlayStation kid. I I grew up with Super Nintendo. Okay. Um, and I had every Mario game and no Zelda games. Mm. Or Kirby games, or Metroid games, or Star Fox games. Like, okay, all- you didn't get like any of the first party stuff. No, it's like uh, I got fucking on the ball and um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for Turtles in Time mm. and Spider Man and the X Men mm. <laughs> versus Arcade or whatever that game is called. Arcade Revenge, badass yeah. soundtrack. Yeah. Right, Arcade Revenge. Yeah, yeah. Listen to that sound. Put that soundtrack in this episode, like right here. Just like drowning out what I'm saying right now. Is there a specific track from it? I will get you the one. It's the one from the Gambit level. Okay. Yeah, I think I played a little bit of it because it's on my emulator. But the Spider-Man games I played on SNES as a kid were 
the animated series game, which controls like shit, but somehow I made it through <laughs> it. And um, the Separation Anxiety game, which was the sequel to Maximum Carnage, where you get to play as Spider-Man and Venom, and it's just a side-scrolling beat-em-up. Yep. I... Th there was... There was one game, um, I think it was an arcade game, that was maybe ported to Super Nintendo, where it was like just Marvel... It's like a Marvel beat-em-up game. I, th I think I, I might remember. have played that one too. It had like Cap and Iron Man. And... Yeah, and Hulk and Wolverine. Yeah. And a lot of characters. Yeah, I think and... it, it's like they titled it as a Captain America game. Um, there, there is Captain America and the Avengers, yeah. which is a separate thing oh, from what I'm thinking that's of. I have that game on cartridge, mm. um, Captain America and the Avengers. Yeah. Where, you, do you want to guess the lineup of that game? Uh, I mean, I, I think I played four. the first level, and all I remember is that you fight I think, Whirlwind at the end of it. Yep. Yep. It's um, Captain America, Hawkeye, Iron Man, and Vision. Okay. And there's like cameos from a bunch of different heroes and villains. Hmm. Um, most of which I don't know the names of because like comic costumes from the 90s are wild. Hmm. And I don't recognize any of them. Yeah. Um. Yeah, there, there's a different like arcade beat 'em up with Marvel heroes that I remember renting as a kid, but I have never seen again. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I have to look it up. I guess there's so many beat 'em up games that they put on SNES. Yeah, and I mean, making a superhero beat 'em up game is just like so conceptually easy mm. that because I mean you've already got like the characters and the move sets <laughs> yeah <laughs> like preordained so yeah and it's like, just an easy kind of game to have in the arcade format because a lot of games from that era were arcade ports to home console so right. in the arcade it's just yeah you have a limited amount of health and when that runs out, you have to put in another quarter, and um, yep. And you just go around. You hit your punch button and your kick button and your movement button or your movement joystick, and you beat up all the thugs until you get to the boss. And then you beat up the boss, and... and then the boss kills you three times because they're bullshit. And then, yep. uh, and then you eventually beat them by wearing them down. Yep. And they make it so you can have two players because you'll be more likely to stick around if you've got a friend involved. Yeah, or um, and also that means twice as many quarters. Have Have you watched um, Game Grumps recent recently? Yeah, they with they're the playing Danny's Turtles arcade, arcade games. games. Yeah, yeah, the, <laughs> and they the and ninja robots Danny that are just slowly walking down yeah. the hall and yeah, and killing everyone, and like, dying, and coming back. Danny gave a story. Yeah. Where he was like, oh yeah, me and three of my friends like just kept putting quarters in um, the t uh, TMNT video game mm. until we won. Yeah. 
So like, yeah, they probably made fifteen bucks off of those four kids. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how arcades worked. Yep. They're they're fun though. Yep. And now it's I'm not EA selling arcades. you uh, cosmetics in blind boxes. Yep. I I wish people were still just selling horse armor. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And time savers to make the game suck less because they made it suck intentionally. As yeah. Speaking of which, I played Shadow of War again. Oh, yeah. You're in the Lord of the Rings movie. Yeah. We, we got sidetracked, as we often do. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, yeah. this Lord of the it's Rings that- episode isn't going to have that much Lord of the Rings uh, no. relative I to mean, the episode. It, it's, it's so ubiquitous that it's hard to talk about. Mm. Yeah, spoilers, they um, were good movies, and they're still good movies. They're they're fucking great movies, like And I think you watched the, the theatrical the, the, and I watched the extended. Oh, yeah. So I, I watched like nine and a half hours of movie and Jade watched like fifteen. <laughs> yeah, the last movie was like four hours and ten minutes. Um the other two were like three hours and some, like three and a half hours maybe. Yeah. But it was still and worth it. Get all those as far as I can tell. Like when they find the uh, stone head of a king statue that's just laying around in the forest, but it's got a crown of flowers. So that's nice. And also the scene where Saruman that... falls off the top of the tower and gets impaled. Yeah. A- another YouTube classic. Yeah. <laughs> and the mouth of Sauron, uh... which gets referenced so much that it's like you know like, i i always felt like not that many people saw the extended but apparently must a lot of people must have seen it because they'd still you know reference that mouth of sauron scene <clears throat> i i feel like i've seen the extended editions once mm. and I, f- I feel like the only thing i really remember from it is the the Saruman scene mm. I mean, because the mouth of Sauron was the scene where they ride out to the Black Gate, and then it opens up, and this one creepy guy who's just, like, a gross... Like, he's got a helmet covering the top of his face, and you just see, like, his gross teeth. And he, you know, rides out, and he's got Frodo's mithril shirt, and he's talking to Aragorn about how, you know, Frodo suffered and died, and their cause is lost, and everything's hopeless. And Aragorn just gets mad and lops his head off with a sword. And then Gimli's like, I guess that concludes negotiations. And then yeah. then the fight breaks out. <laughs> Aggressive negotiation. Yeah. yeah, it's like with that knowledge or- that Frodo is probably dead, Aragorn rides back and gives his you know big speech about, you know, see in your eyes the fear that will take the heart of me, but... It is not this day, this day we fight. Yep, they're canceling the apocalypse. By all that you hold dear, in this good earth, (laughs) I bid you stand, men of the West. Yep. And And then the trumpets and the exciting music. (laughs) And Sam hauling Frodo up the mountain, saying, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. (laughs) (laughs) I love this movie. <laughs> Return of the King is 
like I don't I don't watch Lord of the Rings often because it's like a massive time investment, right? Mm. Like I, I, I used can to watch, watch it all the like, time in high school when I had no internet and no friends, and just this movie that I loved. Like R- Return of the King hit me harder um, this time than it ever has. Mm. <laughs> oh yeah, like. Like, I actually, like, I've never cried at Return of the King before, but I did this time. Mm. Because I, I was, I was invested. I felt everything. Mm. Like, Sam and Frodo <laughs> climbing the mountain. Um, and like, like, even, even things like, like, Sam getting married. Like, <laughs> like, that's such a, that's such a weird thing to get emotional about, but it's like seeing what they went through. Yeah. That really hit me. Yeah, yeah. Like, Sam, you know, Sam, like, he was getting, like, gaslit by Gollum, but he's still just, you know, stuck with it because that's, that's what he, what he does. Yeah. This, Sam is the, like, like, prototypical hero of the story. Yeah. And nobody will ever tell me otherwise. It is not Frodo. It is not Aragorn. Yeah, no, like Frodo. Frodo did his best, but you know he was just the one who was there to like suffer. He was like the sacrificial lamb of the story, and Sam's yeah. the one who like made sure that he got there to the end. Sam is the hero. Frodo is the best friend who is more important. Yeah, he is. Frodo is the Jack Sparrow. Yeah, Fro- who... Frodo's the Luke Skywalker. <laughs> He's the bland character yeah. who you're supposed to relate to. Yeah. Who carries a lot of the dramatic weight. But he's not the most interesting. Yeah, it and honestly it's hard for Frodo to be interesting because his mind is constantly getting warped. Yeah. So like it's hard to really get a feel on him. Um like aside from the first movie where he is mostly himself. Mm. Yeah, I mean he's mostly there to be scared by the scary things that they're running into. But, you know, yeah. power his way through it and keep going. And get stabbed a lot. Yeah. Because he gets stabbed a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean yeah, like he's almost a plot device in the, he's, like, he's the one who has to carry the ring. The ring has to get to the volcano so the bad guy can die, so the threat can end, so everyone can be saved. So he, he's like a functional character, but his personality is mostly just how much he's suffering all the time through yeah. all of this. But, you know, putting on a brave face and trying to get through it. Also, Elijah Wood has beautiful eyes. Hmm. <laughs> I, I just had to say that because like, you can't watch these movies and not realize it. Mm. Like he ha- he has like bright blue eyes compared to like the the fire and brimstone that surrounds him yeah. throughout the whole uh, back two movies. Yeah, he he has a very wide eyed innocent face. Yep. But you know his his best role is still the guy from Spy Kids three, three <laughs> D. Mm. <laughs> um. Okay, so Sam is the best character. We we got that out the way. Mm. Um. Gim- Gimli is weird comic relief. 
that is it is funny but mm. also kind of weird and out of place yeah um it's like sometimes racist against a race that doesn't exist yeah it, i mean not a race but that like dwarf jokes little people do exist oh, yeah. in, in the real world yeah but <laughs> i'm thinking about like when he's like, he was getting drunk and talking about how hairy the women are in dwarf society oh yeah <laughs> it's the beard yeah and like legolas is the straight man of all of it. he <laughs> he has like no you know he, he might get mildly angry occasionally and that's the most emotional range he has as a character yeah gimli is there to look funny legolas is there to look cool and badass and Aragorn is there to look sexy, I guess. Yeah, I mean, Aragorn is the one who has, like, an arc yeah. to his a- cool a- badass An actual story. character. Yeah. <laughs> He's got, like, the conflicts of, you know, fighting it, well, trying to live up to his destiny, I guess? I don't know. He knows he has this destiny to become the king, but he doesn't feel worthy of it, and, you know, that's like, the conflict of his character. And he, he, and he can have two girlfriends, but he picks the one. Mm. So he's a good guy. He picks the boring one, like a good anime protagonist. He he picks the one whose name starts with a vowel and ends with win. Mm. Yeah, I don't. Do you, in the theatrical cut? Did they show? Eowyn getting with Faramir, or was that just, like, at the ending she's with Faramir and there's no explanation? Yeah, at, at the end she's just standing next to him. Okay. Because, I mean, it, it's... There's no, like, dialogue to really explain it, but in the extended cut you see when she's recovering from her injuries at the, like, makeshift hospital in Minas Tirith, that Faramir is there too, because he, you know, got a little burned. Um... So they, you know, kind of bonded while they were there in the hospital. Yeah, the it's it's kind of weird how a lot of the side characters get like more character and more of an arc than like Gimli and Legolas. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Arwen at I least in the know. movie got more character than she did in the books. Like, the whole thing with her rescuing Frodo, in the books, it was a different guy. It was, like, a male elf, and she was just back at, uh, Rivendell the whole time. Yeah. That's that's a good change, but also it kind of leads to her, like, having this one badass moment and then doing nothing. Yeah. Which I guess is still better than her just plain doing nothing yeah i mean even the whole thing with her you know having to give up her immortal life to stay in middle earth i if that happened in the book i don't think they really talked about it much like i think eowyn was the only female character in the book that had like any kind of character and it was you know less than it was in the movie it was more just that one Macbeth twist where she's able to kill the witch king because the prophecy said no man could kill him and whoops, she's no man. Yeah. But, like, does that mean that an elf can? 
maybe like any elf can do an it. An elf or a dwarf. Yeah, I don't know how. Yeah. It's a dumb prophecy. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Like, there's there's a lot we can nit, nitpick, right? But, it, like, in, in the end, these movies are masterpieces, and yeah. everyone... I mean, I would say everyone should watch it, but everybody already has. Yeah. I mean, if you haven't watched it, you should watch it. If you haven't watched it and you have any interest in fantasy at all, you absolutely need to watch it because it's, you know, the best adaptation that exists of a story that is, like, a foundational text of modern fantasy. Right. Like, th- there there aren't that many good film adaptations adaptations of like actual groundworks of a genre right mm. maybe i don't know what what are some other ones i don't i cannot think of one. i mean i get okay so like well, dracula like, like, like dracula and frankenstein yeah. are both groundworks of like horror franchise stuff and they've been yeah. adapted a lot of times I haven't seen, like, the Boris Karloff Frankenstein, but even that, like, that isn't what the book was really about. Yeah, they're, they're different enough to where, because, like, in, in, in Frankenstein, the book, it's less of, oh, he created a monster, which is kind of what the movie is, it's. Frankenstein himself is the monster. He created life and... Yeah, he created life and immediately rejected it and the life is intelligent and wants to be loved, but, you know, realizes that his creator's a dick and so he's just gonna go torment him. Yeah, it's it's closer to, like, an artificial intelligence story than it is, um, like, your average monster story. And Dracula, it's been so long that I I can't even compare it to the book because yeah, it's I don't been remember. like years and years since I've read the book or seen the original movie. Like, I'm pretty sure I bought the book for a class, but I don't know that I read it. It might have dropped off the syllabus before it came to that. I read it a long time mm. ago. And I don't remember much. And, like the movie adaptations of Dracula, I'm. I think the Gary Oldman one is the only one I remember that is, like that I've seen that was actually adapting the book and not just like it's a vampire and it's Dracula because he's the most famous vampire. My favorite version of Dracula is from Blade Three, mm. <laughs> where he's just. He's just like a giant shirtless uh, um, guy mm. who I I don't even know how to describe. We, we him. talked it's about it at like so a, almost a year stupid. ago on this. Yeah, show. it's so fucking stupid. I guess I did <laughs> at one point watch the silent movie Nosferatu, which is also an adaptation of Dracula. And I think I liked it yeah. in a, like a silent movie kind of way, where it's just the the visuals carry it, right? And it's, it's the like creepiest that... Dracula design that I know of, because they were going for creepy and not going for sexy. Because Anne Rice hadn't written her vampire books that made everybody think vampires are sexy now. 
vampires are sexy. Yeah, not really my type. Because because power because power is sexy. Come on, Jade, get with it. Mm. But is the power worth it when they're just so pasty and aristocratic, and they just want to bite your neck and kill you? Um. I, I had a joke, but I lost it, so I'm just mm. going to continue. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, okay, vampires can be sexy if it's, um, ah, shit, what's the name of that movie? It was a bad movie. Um, <clears throat> Queen of the Damned. Um, Forrest Gump. Yeah, uh, no. No, I, I'm I, not aware of actually... the vampires in Forrest Gump, but uh, <laughs> Queen of the Damned. <laughs> I do like the design of sexy ancient Egyptian vampire, even though the rest of the movie is just... I mean, it's cheesy. Uh, I I guess it's bad in the sense that it's cheesy. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I've watched it a couple times, and I don't think I liked it, but I didn't completely dislike it. I don't know. I'm drifting off. I don't know yeah. either. <laughs> also, I kind of like Forrest Gump, so that was just a joke. Mm. Um. Uh. So Mary is cool. <laughs> yeah, Mary and Pippin, Pippin both. Cut. Like they did some stuff in the first two movies, but Return of the King is where they both really get character development. They both kill an orc, so that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like Pippin, you know, like, he gets, like, a lot more character stuff in the third one. You know, like, a mix of his, like, I guess, like, making bad choices and also feeling guilty about how he kinda got Gandalf killed in the first one. Like, I... I don't know if I'd picked up on that quite as much, you know, the last time I watched it, but it's been been years since I watched it. I definitely noticed on this viewing that, like, anytime Gan, you know, Gandalf is still kind of gruff with Pippin, uh, you know, and he always has yeah. been, but with Pippin, it just, it feels like he feels guilt, because he's the one who knocked that skeleton in the well, that got the whole chaos in Moria started that got Gandalf killed, so anytime he's looking at Gandalf, he, I assume is feeling upset because Gandalf is a dick to him all the time, but also feeling upset that he got him killed way back when. And that guilt right. is kind of what drives him to, you know, go to Denethor and be like, hey, I'll be your, your servant because I'm, you know, your son died to save me and I need to make some of this, right? It's like everybody's dying to save me. And, yeah, that's, like, his big character thing is... uh Agreeing to serve Denethor and then realizing Denethor's a crazy idiot. <laughs> he really is. Yeah. And then Mary is but, just, you know, he wants to fight and nobody will let him because he's short and small and young and naive and not prepared for a vicious battle. But then Eowyn takes a chance on him and they tag team the Witch King. Um, don't put it that way. <laughs> 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 uh, 
don't. I don't wanna. <laughs> don't. <laughs> a wizard puts things precisely the way he means to. <laughs> no man can fuck me. <laughs> We are no men. <laughs> Gnomes, okay. <laughs> are there gnomes in Lord of the Rings? Because... <laughs> um, not specifically that I recall, but it's possible. I think Hobbit is the closest thing they have. Yeah. A gnome. Because I don't think Tom Bombadil's a gnome. He's just a crazy person who lives in the woods. Who? He's he wasn't so in the movie. They left him out of the movies. He he is the weirdest character in the Lord of the Rings books. Yeah. 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 Tom Bombadil, Tom Bombadillo. His coat is blue and his boots are yellow. That almost rhymes. Something like that. I don't know. He, he's this weird. Like when they first leave the Shire and they're heading through the woods to get to Bree, um, they end up running into this weird bearded guy who seems like there is no explanation for exactly what he is. It seems like he's just there to be kind of a mystery. Like people have guessed he might be like Tolkien's self-insert or. Um, like the creator god of this universe in mortal form or something but he, he's just this weird jolly guy who lives in the woods and invites them back to his house like he invites the hobbits back to his house and he like at one point picks up the ring and it has no effect on him it doesn't turn him invisible it doesn't anything he he's like completely immune to it um, but yeah he's just there for like one chapter and then they move on He's just just this you know strange thing that Tolkien decided to put in to like add some mystery to the universe, I guess. Because there wasn't enough of that. Yeah. <laughs> there were there wasn't enough things about the universe that weren't explicitly mentioned in Lord of the Rings. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When you dig into the appendices, there's a lot of a lot of stuff like. The world used to be flat, and then it became round at some point. <laughs> Take that, that's flat Middle-earthers. Yeah. Like, I think in the first age of Middle-earth, the world was, like, flat. And then part of the, like, chaotic reshaping of the world that led into the second age, I, I think it was, yeah, between the first and second ages when the world became round. And Hugo Weaving was there to see it. Probably. He Maybe was there 3,000 years ago. Oh, this was more than 3,000 years ago. I, d I, don't, I don't have any concept of how long ages are. <laughs> yeah, no, the the battle that Elrond flashes back, well, I guess like they show at the start of Fellowship, uh, that was at the end of the Second Age. Okay, I... And ages aren't like a consistent length, it's just like, the the amount of time between big world shaping event and another big world shaping event who decides when an age ends and how do how does everyone else know uh, probably the I would say the elves except the elves were all leaving by the time 
Aragorn became king, and that is the end of the Third Age and the start of the Fourth Age. So, I don't know. So, the only people who get to decide are the two European-inspired uh, <laughs> human kingdoms. Yeah, yeah okay. Thanks, yeah. colonialism. <laughs> yeah, no, the the Southrons and the Herodrim aren't people. No. They're, they're just these mercenaries that uh, Sauron dragged up from the other parts of the world. But they're brown people, so they're they're not people. Yeah, they... They're, they're just okay with um, helping a giant eye on a tower um, genocide their yeah. race. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if it means they get to, you know, wear their crazy Mad Max outfits while riding their elephants around, then... That was crazy and awesome. Yeah. Um, also, Legolas is very overpowered, and... Um, <laughs> mm. but killing it's that elephant kind of still only counts as one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Gemli. Yeah. CG Legolas legitimately scares me. Mm. But yeah, also... I mean, at least it's not like in the third Hobbit movie where he's like video gaming his way up falling rocks. <laughs> yeah. All he's doing is like. Um, grabbing a giant tusk that was seen like rolling over dozens of horses at once and somehow sliding up it and climbing up arrows that were shot into its leg and then somehow cutting like like cloth straps. Yeah, he cuts the belt that it has yeah. That like it's holding like thousands of pounds of weight but he just cuts it with one swipe yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. And then know. penetrates the elephant's like was it through an, the eye or was it like straight into the skull? It, it like, was right through the bone of its head. It, it was from the back of the neck. Okay. So so there might be an opening in the the skull bone there. Yeah. Cuz he he like stood on top and yeah. then not not knocked three arrows and shot them straight into the back of the elephant's neck okay. to take it down. I remember it because I, I actually watched that scene like two or three times because I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> mm. Like, yeah, it's cool to watch, but it's it's also very stupid. Like, Legolas could take on the whole orc army by himself. Hmm. Yeah, no, yeah, that Battle of Pelennor Field scene, I'd forgotten how much of, like, an anime escalation fight that was. That it starts yeah. off, it's like, okay, we got this army of orcs lined up outside Minas Tirith, and it's a pretty even fight, but then, oh no, well, yeah, like, they're, they bring in the siege towers, and they knock down the siege towers, and then they bring in this big battering ram. And they're gonna, you know, they break down the gate and they're swarming into the castle and oh no, all hope is lost. And then the Rohirrim come up over the ridge and, you know, the orcs all turn around and clearly the tide has turned and these horses are all rampaging through the orcs and just slaughtering them. And it's like, cool, the day is saved. Oh no, here come the Haradrim on their elephants over the other ridge. And now the tide has turned again and all the horses are getting slaughtered by the elephants. 
And then Aragorn shows up with his ghost army, and the ghosts just swarm over the orcs and the Herodrim, and yeah, it's just, and just the way that they, you know, framed and built that whole scene, it's like very big emotional swings on whether, you know, we're completely fucked, or hope is restored and the day is saved. Yeah, it's... Because, like, originally, um, you know, uh, King Theoden is like, yeah, we can't stand up to the armies of Mordor, but we will die trying. Um, And then they just completely roll over (laughs) the orc army. Mm. Um, Yeah, and it's like, like at first it's like, we're not going to help, because why should we help them? And then... Uh, Gandalf, and then somebody lit yeah, a bonfire. Yeah, Gandalf <laughs> gets a bonfire, and he's like, "Oh, cool! They asked for help. Well, I guess we we can go help them then." So he actually could have helped. He just didn't want to because he wanted them to ask him. Yeah, it's like where where was Gondor when the Westfold was burning, yeah. or whatever he yeah. says. He's, <laughs> and hey, he's like, "They want help. They gotta ask and, him for help." Yeah, it was like, well... It wasn't really about their lack of help. He just wanted them to get over themselves, I guess. I Yeah, I guess. But it's like, Thaden has no... Like, he, he's got no right to, to use that excuse because he, he was under the influence mm-hmm. of, of an evil wizard. Yeah. Uh, and... He didn't light his bond, his side of the bonfire. Yeah, and I was like, hey, Theoden, where so were you when the he West can shut the fuck up. burning? Oh, that's right, you were right. uh, being mind control. You were in your throne room with with Patrick uh, whispering sweet nothings yeah. into your ear. You trusted a guy named Grima Wormtongue. Yeah. <laughs> you fucking idiot. Was he also the actor who did um, Chucky? I think Brad Dourif from the Child's Play movies. I have no I idea. I want to say he was the original Child's Play Chucky actor. That would make sense. But I do mm. not know. Um, okay, where to uh, next? Let's see. Uh, the other note I have is that I took the time to try to figure out Bilbo's weird insult compliment from his birthday party. Um, I don't know half of you as well yeah, as I should, and I like I like all of you half as well as you deserve. Yeah, or something no, like he that. said I don't know half of you half as well as I should like, and um, right. I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. So, and then like the reaction okay. is, you know, like none of them are quite sure if they're being insulted or complimented, and taking it <laughs> apart, it seems like both sides of that statement are a compliment. Because he's saying, I don't know half of you half as well as I should like. Which means he's saying, like, half of you seem cool, but I don't know you as well as I wish I did. Um, and then the other half is, I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. Which means he's giving them a lot of shit, but he's admitting they don't really deserve it. That, you know, it's like, I, I don't like you as much as you deserve. Um... So I guess it's like both sides of the statement are like, I know I'm a weirdo who has just kind of stayed in his house ever since he came back from that adventure 60 years ago. 
Um, and I'm sorry for that because you all seem pretty cool. Yeah. It. I mean, I don't know if that line is pulled directly from the book. I, I'm pretty sure not. it is. I think the reaction it, it seems shots like it would are be. from the movie, but the line itself is from the book. <clears throat> yeah. It seems like it would, because if... I don't know a hell of a lot about Tolkien, but I know that um, like language was his uh, initial interest. Mm. And the whole, you know, like, creating the fantasy genre yeah. <laughs> was, like, secondary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, pretty so. famously known that he had, like, created... Uh, he was a scholar of, like, Old English, you know, literature and mythology... And so he created his own, like, elf language and orc language and dwarf language and kind of needed an outlet for that. So then he created his own, um, <clears throat> I think it was inspired by, what was the Ring of Nibirung or something? It was, like, a old Viking, like, opera story. The, uh, like, that was one of the inspirations for this, like, story about a magic ring and the war over it. Yeah, I mean, like, half of his Which um, also s- fantasy races are, like, heavily inspired from Norse mythology, so that would make sense. Yeah, that also, like, you know, like, he'd written The Hobbit first as, like, a fun children's story in this world that he'd been working on, and then there was demand for more stories, so he wrote the serious, you know, legend epic story in that same universe. Yeah, talking... he is it seems like he was insane Mm. but like insane in a dedicated way Mm. to where it it just comes out like really cool (laughs) i don't know how to say Mm. this uh properly like like he was insanely driven towards like just this one thing Mm. um but what that one thing was changed over time. So, like, yeah, he, he put all of his efforts into language, and then he put all of his efforts into this, this sprawling huge Norse world that he was building. Yeah. 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 I was going to call him the original, you know, devoted fanfic writer, but I I know of older ones than that. Like the guy who wrote the Aeneid, which is basically like a self-insert fanfic of the Odyssey, written by our yeah Roman Greek. Um, Greek works are all just um, jacking off people who have already done something. Yeah, so. well, yeah, because the, like there was you know Homer's um, ah, fuck. spacing out. Yeah, Iliad. Iliad was the first one, and then Odyssey. Um, and then yeah. there was this, I think it was Virgil, who was a Roman guy, wrote the Aeneid as his way of, like, um, working the origin of Rome into the Greek legends of the Iliad and the Odyssey. So he came up with this guy, Aeneas, who basically followed, you know, the same path as Odysseus, kind of inadvertently, accidentally also ran into the Cyclops after Odysseus had left. And, uh, like, just went to all the same places. It's, it's like the Force Awakens of, um, ancient mythology. 
He's just retreading the ground of this previous <laughs> myth that was really popular and he liked it and wanted to put his own twist on it to you know, make it about Rome. I hope that's you know. the title. The Force Awakens of Greek mythology. Okay, so people are going to be wondering why we're calling the Lord of the Rings the, the Force Awakens of Greek Well, I guess we're not just talking Lord of the Rings this episode. I can find a good picture of the Aeneid. No, I think I think Lord of the Rings is like um, it's the Blade Runner of North Norse mythology. Yeah, yeah, because it's it's like changing it, but in a good yeah, way. Yeah, it's like original, but taking a lot of well trodden concepts and just making them in. Yeah, actually, yeah, that that is a really good comparison because Blade Runner is like the forerunner of um, like the cyberpunk genre, at least. Uh, you know yeah. one of the you know first major cyberpunk things where lord of the rings is like you know like fantasy is a genre encompasses so much more than we think of when we think of fantasy but like the the idea of yeah. high, f- yeah, high like, fantasy you know, western concept of fantasy tends to be like lord of the rings high fantasy elves and orcs and european-esque setting um and not like the magical realism kind of fantasy that you know like in anime you see a lot more of like the other directions that fantasy can go than uh yeah western fantasy or even like harry potter yeah where it's um i shouldn't even say harry potter because you know what no Mm. yeah i mean (laughs) because that one it's not quite modern fantasy it's like near past fantasy that it yeah it has that kind of nostalgic rosiness of like a less technologically advanced world than the one we live in even at the time it was written but um but yeah it isn't it's definitely distinct from the medieval fantasy yeah yeah i think i think the reason like medieval fantasy is so popular like, n- not just because Lord of the Rings did it first and best and everyone took influence. Mm. Um, it's because it's a lot easier to believe that magic can exist in the past mm. rather than the present. Yeah. Because, like, to, to, to some extent, like, technology just takes the place of magic, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, fucking magnets, like, how do they work? Like, I mean, just think, if if Gandalf had a gun, would he do any worse than he mm. did? I mean, uh, I guess, yeah, that's the same issue <laughs> Harry Potter runs into, because guns exist, and yet wizards don't use them. Right. They also, well, apparently they didn't use toilets for a long time, yeah. so... Yeah, they just went around blissfully unaware of the technology that existed out in the stupid muggle world. Yeah. I I wouldn't want to do magic if it meant I couldn't use mm. a toilet. But, I mean, you just magic your own poop away. Or, you... You know what? I can do, I can do that if it's sitting in a mm. toilet. Or, I mean, you could just get a house elf. You're like poop on a house elf and get the house elf to clean itself up. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they're there for. 
<laughs> also a good title for Poop on a House Elf. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Should Harry Potter go on our list of things to watch at some point? Okay. No. I, I very explicitly don't okay. want to. I mean, I, I have seen them all. I don't know that... I, I think I only own copies of a couple of them. But I could just take them out from the library or something if I had to. But nah, it's fine. We don't have to. The, I've, I've seen the first few movies and I don't really like them enough to watch what, six more? There's five eight more. of them because the seventh one was split into two. And then there's been two prequels. Yeah. So, we'll leave that one alone. Mm. I'm not in the mood. I'd rather watch The Hobbit. Because it... it, And that one we're also not doing. No. (laughs) Because that's a huge Mm. waste of time. I mean, I still... I I went out and bought the uh, four-movie Mummy collection. Just so I know I'd have all four. So I'm still on board for that one. Yeah, that sounds cool. Which I think we might have caught on to like a zeitgeist thing, because after I started talking about wanting to watch The Mummy, uh, Funko decided to release a bunch of new Funko Pops inspired by the Brandon Fraser Mummy. Huh. Even though there's like no movie or anything lined up in the near future, they just out of the blue decided hey this is a you know movie from a couple decades ago that a lot of people like they're they're probably just getting over the fact that um the new mummy is never gonna be Mm -hmm. a thing so they're like yeah i guess we'll go back to the one that can possibly make us some money (laughs) that people Mm -hmm. like Yeah, we should watch Yu-Gi-Oh! That has ancient Egyptian stuff, too. Yeah, I mean, I think that is on Amazon Prime. <laughs> like, I watched some of it on there. I I love hate Yu-Gi-Oh! Mm. So much. It, it, it isn't good. Well, it, at least the dub. I've, I've never seen the... I've never seen, the like, the actual Japanese, which I know mm. is different, but... I mean, I've read a lot of the manga, which was entertaining in its own cheesy way. Although the manga's allowed to go yeah. a little more no-holds-barred than the the anime is. Like, people, like, uh, Bandit Keith, like, shoots himself in the head with, I think, I think, like, Pegasus some, used some kind of curse to turn Bandit Keith's hand into a, a revolver. And made him play uh, Russian roulette with himself, or something like that. Yeah, like I, I know that in the original Japanese, like characters like actually die. Yeah. Um, in English, they just say "going to the shadow realm" yeah. <laughs> because it's like we don't want to say the word death. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, like in the manga, there's actually like some you know fairly brutal, I, like there was uh, what's it the some guy 
tricked Yugi into like some kind of trap rum thing where I think in the manga there's like these like spinning buzz saws that are gonna slice the loser's legs off or slice the loser in half or something and in the anime they I think he just got trapped I don't think there was any like killing device yeah that would be a bitch to animate um, and, and not have it be and, explicit. Yeah, like knock their content rating from what, TVY or Y7 up to TVPG. Um, <laughs> I think more than Well, that. it depends on if someone get Like, I think threat of violent death wouldn't be quite as high as actual violent death happening. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, even, even, like, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, um, there are occasional, occasional bits of, like, very intense violence that they have to censor, Mm. um, on initial releases, Mm. um, that they restore on, like, the, the Blu-ray release. Oh, okay. Because, um just out of nowhere Mm. (laughs) just like some people get like split in half Mm. um and they they can't show that on japanese television Mm. apparently all they can show is long long man Mm. yeah no you have to buy the hundred dollar blu-ray to see the full thing yeah i mean it's I don't know if JoJo's Bizarre Adventure would have a super expensive Blu-ray mm. in Japan. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, for, like from it, what I've read, a lot of the it, it seems it seems like more of a um, like they they'd rather a wider market than a deeper one, if you know what I mean. Okay. Yeah, because I know some of the shows there, like the discs, are really expensive because the idea is that they'll only be sold to rental stores. And then the rental stores will make their money back by renting it out. But then, you know, like, otaku culture became a thing and people wanted their own copies and not rental copies. And were willing to pay the obscene prices they sell rental copies for. Who who would ever pay (laughs) too much money for anime? Mm. I would. Nobody in this call. No, I, I didn't pay... $150 $150 for, for Kill I Kill. Mm. Or Bake Monogatari. <laughs> I didn't do that. Who would do that? No, why would you? Yeah. I mean, why would I do that when I can buy Space Dandy for 20 bucks mm. from Funimation? Or you could spend the 100 something dollars on Magic Cards. You could get a whole box of 36 packs of magic cards for like a hundred bucks i can't wait to buy a whole bunch of magic cards that will be immediately worthless to mm. me because i don't play magic mm. yeah i just finished making a spider-man magic deck which uh <laughs> the site i usually print through um it must have gotten flagged <clears throat> by their copyright sensor or something because even though they've printed spider-man for me before uh, this one, they said, uh, nope, that's a copyrighted character. We can't print that. So they refunded me, and I found another company, and they 
they've printed half of it because their setup's a little different. They they print in only quantities of 54, and this is a 100-card deck. So I put in half of it just to see what it looked like, and it looks not as good, but still playable. So I ordered the other half, and when that arrives, I'll be able to try out the deck. Um, it's a, a two-partner uh, commander deck with Spider-Man as a Kiri Line Slinger and uh, Dr. Octopus as Silas Wren. So that gets me every color except green, and I was able to slot in all the Spider-Verse characters and the Sinister Six and Aunt May and uh, and then like artifact lands that are representing parts of New York. I knew what about 60% of that meant. Mm. Yeah, the, the Spider-Man part. And and the like very basic magic mm. parts. Yeah, I mean... Not the specific I, I, magic parts. Yeah, I won't know for sure how well the deck runs <clears throat> until I actually play it, but the idea is that Akiri Line Slinger as Spider-Man is a... It's a card, I think it costs a red and a white, and it's a creature that is 0-3, but gets plus one attack for each artifact that you have. Um, and then the Dr. Octopus Silas Ren, it, he's like one a blue and a black and he has death touch and when he does damage to a player i can return an artifact from my graveyard either to the battlefield or my hand or something so a lot of the deck is either equipment artifact cards which i can equip to spider-man to give him like abilities and also he'll get plus one attack just because there's an artifact there and then there's like a lot of the villains have things that generate treasure tokens, which are also artifacts. So for every treasure token that I have, Spider-Man gets plus one attack. So, and then I've got things to make Spider-Man unblockable or give him flying or make it so he can do direct damage. And since he's a commander, that'll be commander damage, so I can kill someone faster with it. So... Give him, give him the spider tank. Yeah, so Spider-Man has kind of joined the dark side and become the menace that J. Jonah Jameson always thought he was, because he's helping the villains <laughs> to accrue a bunch of stolen treasure, which makes Spider-Man stronger, so Spider-Man can then go beat up my opponents. Um, and like, yeah, he's he's wearing the Venom suit. That's that's yeah, the explanation. Well, the Venom suit is a card in the deck. Um, I made it Grafted Exoskeleton, which is an equipment that gives a creature Infect, which makes it so when they deal damage to someone, they instead give them poison counters, and a player who gets 10 poison counters dies. Cool. So, yeah, so that's in there. They're getting taken over by the symbiote. Yep. And the 2099 suit... Uh, I'm sorry, the symbiote. Yeah. The 2099 suit is in there as an equipment that gives non-basic <clears throat> land walk, so he can deal direct damage you know can't be blocked by a player who has a non-basic land out which most players will because if you're running more than one color you're going to need you know other lands and even if you're running one color you'll still probably have some utility lands that aren't just a basic land so if you have a non-basic land out and i get the 2099 suit i can just punch directly nice mm, yeah so what does Penny Parker do? Uh, she's Dalakos Crafter of Wonders, which is a card that is um, 
you can tap to add two mana to cast an artifact or activate an ability of an artifact. So she can either help to cast artifacts or help to equip artifacts. And then also has a passive effect of equipped creatures I control have haste and flying. So she's like the tech master who's helping get this equipment on the board and get Spider-Man suited up with it. And then give him flying so now he's even more evasive and he can, you know, be dealing damage against people who have no flyers to protect themselves. Nice. What about Spider-Man newer? Um, let's see. What, I think that one I made is Joyra, who is, um, you draw a card every time you cast a historic spell, which are artifacts, legendaries, <laughs> and, um... Uh, sagas so every time i cast an artifact i get to draw a card while he's out or a legendary creature which is some of the creatures do you have any villains beside venom uh venom carnage uh i mean doc ock is co-commander um chameleon craven mysterio sandman electro shocker um Green Goblin, Hobgoblin, what Demo Goblin, Kingpin, Alistair Smythe. Um, yeah, Shocker I made is uh, Deadeye Plunderers, which is a pirate who um, gets plus one attack, I think, for each artifact I control. Um, and also, I can pay, like, two, a blue, and a black, or something. I don't know. This, like, you can pay an amount to make a treasure. So... That'll get more mm -hmm. artifacts on board. And um, also, I mean, because the treasure, it's an artifact that you can sacrifice to get any color of mana. So a treasure is mana ramp, but also if I don't spend it, it's an artifact on board. And that is useful for a lot of the uh, cards I have in the deck that are checking to see how many artifacts I have. I pretend to know what all of that means. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you played a little bit I'm, of Arena. Yeah. I I know I know what most of it means. Yeah. But there's just some very specific stuff that I'm like I think I get it, but maybe I don't. Yeah, I mean artifacts aren't as prevalent in um you know, like arena and like standard. Like the the sm the those like one-on-one -on -one formats and the smaller formats you don't see as much unless that's like specifically what that set was about um commander you tend to see more artifacts and enchantments getting used because they're harder to destroy there's not as many cards out there that say destroy an artifact or enchantment so you can play them without them dying in a board wipe and some of them are just you know there's like artifacts that tap for mana that people run in commander because you you know you have more life you have more opponents so you need to build up more mana to be able to cast more stuff. You know, compared to a one-on-one -on -one game where you can just, you know, get by with less mana because you've only got one person to worry about. Right. Makes sense. But yeah. Um. Yeah, and then I've also, yeah, like, the a lot of the lands in the deck that aren't basic lands are... Uh, th there's some lands that are also artifacts, so I've got a bunch of those in there. There's like one color ones and two color ones. And I've got them representing like, well, Command Tower is not an artifact land. 
But I've got that one as the Statue of Liberty. Um, I've got like the white-black artifact dual land as the uh, uh, Brooklyn Bridge, I think. Um, I've got like all, all the boroughs of New York, like Manhattan and the Bronx and stuff. They've all got their own artifact lands. Uh, Oscorp Tower, Avengers Tower, um, Empire State Building. They're all artifact lands in the deck. So... They'll tap for mana and yeah. also count toward the number of artifacts that I have, which will make Spider-Man even stronger. I like this plan. I have no idea if it would be good or not, but I like it. Yeah, I won't know until I try playing it, how well it actually works. I did try the Animal Crossing deck last week, though, and it's fun. It's not super great at winning, because it only has two win cons, and everything else about the deck is... A group hug strategy where you're just making it so everybody draws cards and everybody gets mana and everybody celebrates and then somebody else gets their win con <laughs> before I do. It's a cultural victory. Yeah. yeah, like I won one game because it was down to me and another person and they pretty much had win but then they just decided to scoop and they said that I won so I won by default. Um, because they just, you know, we're done with that game. Um, and then there was another game that I played, you know, this past week where, um, the Animal Crossing deck actually did win because it managed to get one of, one of its win cons is Approach of the Second Sun, which is a card that you play it and then it goes back into your deck seven from the top. And if you cast it from your hand again in the same game, you win. So I ended up getting a card uh, called Scheming Symmetry, which lets you and another player of your... Well, it lets you pick two players, so you can pick yourself and someone else, and both of them get to search their decks for something they want and then put it on top. So I searched my deck for Second Son and put it back on top and then played a card that lets everybody draw a card, and I drew the card, and then I played it. So that's the only time it's actually won a game. Otherwise, the... that sounds like a ridiculous strategy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that of the two alternate win cons in the deck, that's the one that's more likely to actually work. The other one, I came close, but somebody else won before I could get it to work. Because the other one, the the deck is kind of built around is called Happily Ever After, which is that I need to. So it's it's an enchantment. I when I play it, everybody gains five life, and then. It, at the beginning of my upkeep at the start of my turn, it checks to see, do I have one permanent of each color on board? Lands don't count because they don't have color. Even though they tap for color, they, they don't, they're not counted as having color. So I need to have white, blue, black, red, and green all represented in the colors of the stuff on my board. And also need to have six different card types. So... I need to have an artifact, a creature, a land, an enchantment, and then an instant and sorcery, which those would be in the graveyard, but it counts the field or graveyard for the types. So I need to have all six of those types, or I'm adding a planeswalker to the deck, so that'll give me a seventh type to potentially have. But I need to have six types, and I need to have five colors, and I need to have more life than my starting life, and I need to have all of that when my turn starts, 
which means if I get it all set up on my turn, I then have to live for another turn before somebody knocks my life down below my starting total and then it, it doesn't meet the condition anymore. Um, so that is a win con that's very hard to pull off. I've never made it work. But, you know, the, the Animal Crossing deck isn't meant to win. It's just meant to be nice to everyone. I like it. Sounds sounds like a chill game. Yeah. Not like a uh, super try hard. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know it's fun for that, and so I, I can play it multiple times without, you know, feeling bad. If it's it's not like my Jab of the Hut deck that is. I I think I talked about last time how I realized I had an infinite mana combo that made it just yeah. win. And so now it has a second infinite mana combo and, like, multiple things it can do with infinite mana. Like, I ended up taking out Walking Ballista because that was just overkill. I already had so many things going on. So, yeah. No, that deck is... It doesn't... It's not the most powerful deck. It doesn't always win, but when it wins, it's just kind of a blowout. Uh... Don't get blown out by Jabba. That sounds terrible. Mm. Um, but anyway, do we have any other thoughts on Lord of the Rings, or should I keep going on about other stuff? Um, I don't know. They're they're classics. Everybody loves them. Mm. Um, they're doing an Amazon show, I think. Yep. Um, yeah, the Amazon show is set in the Second Age, so it won't be a redo of this. I don't really know anything about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I could talk about Shadow of War though, if you want. Um, yeah, I I know we talked on like Discord messages about it because I never finished the game, so I didn't know what happened. Anymore, yeah. But. So the for everyone who wants to know the basic story of Shadow yeah. of Mordor slash yeah. Shadow of War. Yeah, you have to go over the first one so it's, we know who Talion is. Yeah. I mean there there's there's not a hell of a lot of story or character to it. Mm. So But he died um, and he came back. Yeah. That's Talion that is a concept. Ranger of Gondor. Yeah, that never happens. Especially in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least it wasn't, um, he wasn't a wizard. Yeah. How long until Saruman gets brought back? Um, well, considering J.R.R. Tolkien is dead, and the Tolkien state is pretty adamant about not fucking around with uh, the stories, probably never. Next year? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> You have to wait for the Tolkien estate to die out before you can really get crazy with the, the lore. That is a terrible sentiment, and I hate you for it. <laughs> well, that's the way the corporations are thinking about it, I'm sure. Yeah. That's that's the way media rights work now. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I guess if it uh, helps, from what I've heard about the Amazon series... They've been working with the Tolkien Estate, and the Tolkien Estate is happy enough with, you know, how they've been representing everything, that they've given them permission to start 
taking bits and pieces from the Silmarillion that, you know, the, the parts that actually work with, you know, this story that they're trying to tell. Because the Silmarillion had been off-limits after the Tolkien estate. I think they, there was something like they didn't get as much money as they were supposed to out of the New Line movies or something. Huh. Um, and the Hobbit movies only happened because those rights had been sold off to MGM a long time ago and were still being held by MGM. So, you know, Warners yeah, was able I mean, to there, get at them without having to get the Tolkien's approval. I mean, if there's one thing Hollywood is good at, it's not paying people the money they deserve. Yeah. So that is not surprising. Um, but Shadow of Mordor. Yeah, the basic story is Talion is a ranger of Gondor. He's stationed at the Black Gate, which is the the big wall between Mordor and Gondor. Yep. Um, orcs attack, take over the wall... He gets killed, his wife and son get killed, but um, the the orcs do an evil ritual, ritual that basically brings back um, a, a spirit of an elf that brings Talion back to life and turns him into a grave walker. Yep. Which is just a wraith that cannot die. So yep. it's he he's got his original body, he's just possessed by a ghost. Yeah, his, <laughs> that means he can't die. His Cortana is Celebrimbor the the ringmaker. Yeah. That that's a revelation at the end of the game or near oh, the end okay. of the game. Oh, okay. I didn't know when that came up. It's, it's yeah, yeah, he was just not, like an angry elf ghost for most of the game. Yeah. Yeah, like he didn't remember who he was, um, but I like as you get collectibles or something, he remembers who, like he remembers more of his history. Mm. Um, was Gollum so in the yeah, first you, game too, or did he not come up till the second one? Yeah, yeah, he's in he's in the first one. He like drags you around. Um, he he's just like an NPC, an NPC you follow to do missions and stuff. Yeah. He's not super important. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Talion wants to kill like the the three um, commanders of Sauron, who like killed his family. Like it's it's the basic like it's the the basic video game um, motivation. You know, like you killed my wife and son. Prepare to die. Yeah. <laughs> so. So yeah, you do that. You kill a bunch of orcs. You eventually get the power to dominate orcs and control their minds, which is not at all morally um, dubious. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's not important. Nah, I mean, they're orcs. Yeah, I don't know. I always got kind of a force uh, awakened or not uh, force unleashed vibe from the game, where it's like you're playing a bad person fighting worse people. Yeah, basically. Um. So yeah, I'm I'm honestly surprised that um, the Shadow of Mordor games got made the way they did because, like they they follow like the they follow the lore, but they also 
lightly break it every now and then. Yeah, I mean, they also have another ring of power, and uh, Sheila yeah. becomes a sexy woman. Yeah, so at, at the end of the first game, like, you, you kill the commanders, and now Talion and Calabrimbor are like, Okay, all right. Now we take on Sauron, and that's the second game. Um, yeah, because I think was it at the end of, of the first game? There's like I know how to make another ring of power. Yeah, like the the absolute ending of the first game is them like walking into um, walking into Mount Doom to craft the second mm. ring. Um, and the beginning of the second game starts with you immediately losing the second rank to Shelob. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so the the second the second game has like more plot than the first one, which means it has any at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, like the the first game had a, a subplot with like the what was it the the Numenorians? Um, I I think, but it's not important. Oh, the yeah, whatever it was that they called the um, Rangers of Gondor. I guess I don't know because the I, Numenorians were the Second Age men, basically. Okay, it wasn't it wasn't the Numenorians, and what was it? It, it was like another N. Like another people whose name starts with N that I can't think of right now. Okay. Um, the Nernians might be people of Ner- of Nernan. I, I the 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 names kind of get mm. me. <laughs> um, but yeah. Any anyway, the second one has a subplot with like the the city of. Um, menace something <laughs> which is like right out right outside um, oh yeah wasn't it like menace ethel that it became yeah. menace morgul after uh the events of the game where the witch king takes it over right it's the the one with the creepy gargoyles yeah. outside that uh sam and frodo snuck past so they could go up that very steep staircase yeah it's it's menace ethel which is a, a city controlled by Gondor. Um, then the or- the orcs attack. Talion tries to save like everyone in the city, but the the first act of the game ends with <laughs> Talion getting stabbed by um, an an elven agent of Galadriel, mm. um, who knows that if he gets stabbed that means the nazgul can't take him because the nazgul are raids and they want talion to join mm. them um i really shouldn't even be going over the plot because it's not important mm. <laughs> it's like talion tries to help the the gondorians defend the city they all fail. The city falls. Like a few of the important characters get out, and they're important later, but not super important. <laughs> not important enough. Mm. Um, like after the first act of the game, the only thing that really matters is you. You get to 
control a bunch of orcs and like siege down fortresses in several areas to progress through the game and that's that's where the the main meat of the game is it's also where you know three or four years ago when the game came out they had a bunch of controversy because they threw in a bunch of microtransactions to like buy certain types of orcs Mm. to control to help you uh siege down these fortresses Mm. and that was terrible and pointless (laughs) because the the whole point of the whole point of the nemesis system is that it's like it's an organic it's it's a way to tell a story in a semi-organic way right like you run in, you run into this orc captain and you fight him and if you lose he becomes more powerful and you get to take revenge on him and if you win either he either he stays dead or he comes back um in some kind of weird battle damaged way trying to get revenge on you yeah. um and you know like some kind of artificial connection forms between you the player and this orc um and that's that's really the only thing special about the game is the nemesis system and how how it gets you to to feel about these um or characters who are just, you know, stats and traits um, assigned to a certain NPC. Yeah. But, like, if, if you just buy orcs to siege down a fortress, it's like, there's no connection to it, so it just seems pointless. Like, it's a, it's a way for WB to make more money, and that's it. Mm. Um, and at the end of the game, after the initial climax where Talion and Celebrimbor and the, the elf agent Eltariel um, they they go to Barador to take down Sauron um, did they climb up they to fight the top the, out, the tower and punch his eye a bunch of times like at the end of the third age game close um, <laughs> what, what happens is uh Talion and Calibrimbor kill a Nazgul. Um, it's actually Isildur, who, who is the um, oh. the last oh. the last Gondorian king, who actually cut off Sauron's hand. Um, well, yeah, I mean, he was took, like, took the super ring from ancient, him because he was the the one from the flashback to the, you know when the Numenorians fought Sauron, and he cut off his hand, and he took the ring, right. and he got shot with a bunch of arrows, and fell in the bottom of a river. Right. N- Nazgul are, like, lore-wise, Nazgul are, are, like, kings of men who were given rings by Sauron and then taken control by the One Ring. Yeah. So it, it makes sense that Isildur could be one, even though... Even though he took the One Ring should be and dead. then died. <laughs> yeah. Like, he, he... He should be dead. Yeah. Like, I don't... I don't know 
if they can. I mean, yeah, I, like, I guess, um, yeah. It, make that it work lore, make lore wise. It, it, I guess it would kind of make sense because Sauron gave the rings out during the Second Age, which is when Isildur was from. So I guess it's possible that he was one of the kings of men who had a ring from Sauron and I guess continued to wear it even though he was going up against Sauron, knowing full well that he had the one ring and was able to remotely enslave anybody wearing the rings that he handed out. Like, that's why the elves didn't wear the rings that he gave them, because they knew they were tainted. Yeah, but also, if Isildur had the one ring, why would he be influenced by the power of a lesser ring when he died um, well, getting the one ring stolen from yeah, him? Yeah, because I guess this is assuming... He had one of the nine rings and then went into combat wearing that ring against Sauron and didn't get taken over, you know, from doing that, I guess. Like, Sauron just didn't... I, I don't know how the taking over with a ring works, but maybe it's just a really slow process, I don't know. But I guess he must have been wearing one of the nine, and then he cut off Sauron's fingers and took the one, so now he's wearing two rings... And then he fell in the river and got shot a bunch of times and dropped the one ring, but still had the the nine ring on his finger. And yeah, yeah, that must be what they're assuming happened to make this possible. Yeah, like there, there's there's ways of making it work, right? Like it, it's the the details aren't really important. Mm. Um, the point is. The point is that there's a major cameo um, that you're fighting. Italian and right, like the 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 important thing is that Talion is Gondorian and he sees the last king of Gondor, um, and Celebrimbor wants to dominate him to use him in the fight against Sauron, but Talion kills him instead because dominating humans is wrong. Mm. <laughs> I guess yeah, because they're not orcs, and he he wants to release him. Right, he he doesn't want to enslave humans. Mm. He only wants to enslave orcs. Mm. Who, who, by the way, in this game are like individual people with their own personalities and traits and whatnot. Yeah. So you know, but slavery is okay if it's not. Take that for what you will. Yeah, it, like like he, Kelbrimbor li- literally says that earlier in mm. the game. He's like, oh, look, we're just. We're just dominating orcs, not elves or noble men. He's like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> like, and noble men. You have to make the distinction of noble men because noble men are the white ones, and the ones who aren't white aren't the noble <laughs> ones. Except for the yeah. one black guy in the I game, mean, except, because racial diversity exists now. Yeah, and and also the DLC, which I, I will mm. get to. Um, but but, but yeah, the, so the important thing is orcs are like. Ha- ourselves and they exist to be pooped on yeah because like in like even in lord of the rings like orcs are semi-intelligent right yeah. um well, yeah yeah i mean not th- really they're not smart but they're people they are intelligent you know they have like separate personalities they're just kind of dim-witted and greedy and yeah. violent they're 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 easily manipulated and they work for evil, so they are they are cannon fodder. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, so the, the end of the game is Caliburn Boar is like, all right, I can't deal with this anymore. I'm going to the elf woman. Uh, so he gives her the new ring, um, which means that Talion is no longer immortal. Mm. So he, like he's starting to bleed out from his original wounds that killed him in the first place. But they just left a Sealdor's ring <laughs> like on the floor. Yeah, he'll, he'll respawn. So, That's how Nazgul work. Yeah. So, um... Talion, Talion takes uh, one of the Nine Rings um, and he turns into Hot Topic Talion mm. who, like, wears a hood and has, like, bloody veins on his face because he's turning evil. He wasn't evil before um, when he, he was dumb he and has... elves and stabbing people, but now he's evil. He's right. got a bad ring. Yeah. Yeah, now he's, now he's got super necromancer powers. Yeah. And uh, he takes back Menace Morgul. Um, and he goes on a campaign um, of keeping Mordor in war while the human world um, prepares its defenses. And that is where the biggest problem with the Shadow of War was when it first released, is that to get the final ending, they make you do like 40 sieges in a row, mm. which is which is only there as an incentive to buy more orcs, because the sieges get progressively harder, mm. so you need progressively higher leveled orcs to win. Um, so yeah, they, they eventually took that out. Now it's like eight. Mm. <laughs> you, you do like eight sieges and the game ends. It's like 40 years later and Talion's will has been slowly worn down by the force of the ring. So now he's under control from Sauron and he's, uh, he's the replacement Nazgul for Isildur. Mm. So, like, in Lord of the Rings, he is one of the guys in the cloaks that assaults Frodo and the Hobbits, yeah, I guess. Yeah, he's the one who... Well, no, I guess it was explicitly the Witch King who stabbed him in the heart, but... Yeah. Well, stabbed him in the shoulder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that would have been funny if he stabbed Frodo, in, like, directly in yeah, the heart. Yeah, and he lived. And he just, he just died in the first well, movie. It, it's a magic blade. I mean, you can stab him anywhere. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it could be in the heart. The whole point is to turn him into a wraith yeah, anyway. It probably was the shoulder, and it just... The, I don't know, tetanus that he got from the stab was turning evil. <laughs> the magic tetanus. Um, but yeah... Do you want to know the the final ending of Shadow of War that they they make you go through forty sieges for in the original? Uh, is it a dance party with the orcs that you dominated? <laughs> I wish. No the the whole. Oh wait, I I didn't go over. Um, Kelbrimbor and Eltariel, who is the agent of Galadriel, the one who now has like they the they confront. Ring. Yeah, they now they now have. The, the other ring magical power. artifact, which is the light of Galadriel, which oh. is which gives her superpowers, oh. um, and the new ring, which 
gives her even more superpowers. So she's she's at this point she's like super Sara. Hmm. <laughs> okay, so she's super Saiyan God form. Yeah, she's super Saiyan God, super yeah. Saiyan. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, they they fight Sauron. They kind of end in a draw. Um, because what happens is Sauron cuts off her fingers, which is a a parallel to the way Isildur cut off Sauron's fingers. Oh, yeah, I mean that's the only way you so can remove ago. a ring of power from someone. You have to cut their fingers off. Right. You can't just take yeah. it off. <laughs> um, so with their bond severed, Sauron then like hugs Celebrimbor until they become one. And then they, they fly into the giant eye where they are constantly doing battle until the One Ring is destroyed like 50 years later. Huh. And that that is the final ending to Shadow of War. Hmm. Is that... Um, the magic eye gets destroyed. Celebrimbor is free to fly off somewhere else. Um, which I'm assuming is sequel bait. Mm. Um, and Talion goes to heaven, I guess. Because they they show him in his human form, like, throwing his weapons to the ground. And taking off his armor. Mm. And, like, walking in, like, a, a big green field. Which is supposed to be, like... Oh, he's gone through hell and now he's in heaven, or the equivalent, right? His wife and kid aren't there because they were brought back to life in another part of the world. Another <laughs> story that we haven't seen. That would be that would be hilarious. Is that after all that, like to to see his wife and kid again, like he he dies and they're not even the like in the afterlife. Yeah. <laughs> That that has to have been like um, a plot twist to a thing that already exists, mm. right? That like like a guy dies in battle to see his family again, no, they're and not there. like they're still alive somewhere. Yeah. Um, okay, but in in the DLC, um, the first one is you play as Altario, mm. and. You have a lot of the same powers um, because magic Galadriel light. Um, except you can't dominate orcs because she refuses to. Mm. So you basically have to recruit them instead. So like, uh, she's she's working with Talion to you know like keep the forces of Mordor from like they basically want to keep them destroying themselves. Mm. Rather than building up power to fight the men, um, so, so she can't dominate them. Basically, but just she can send them to their deaths. Well, she she recruits them. Um, so like they 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 make a bunch of uh, so like in, in in the main game, there's like just dozens of like randomly generated orcs that you can control over the course of the hmm. game. Um, in the DLC, there's there's a bunch of, like, um, like, orcs the developers created with certain personalities that you recruit um, 
and then you do a siege. Mm. So it's it's more scripted. Um, but it, it's basically like the regular game. And at the end, you try to kill Talion, but she she beats him up, and then he flies off and presumably just goes to the end of the original mm. game. It's not important. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, nothing of importance actually happens. Um, in the second DLC, which is the best part of the game, you play as Baranor, who is the one black guy. <laughs> the good one. Yeah. He... he he was from another place, and he he was basically like traded to Gondor as a kid as like a diplomatic move. Oh, right. So um, eventually, he goes back to where he was from, which is like a desert place. Yeah, um, I mean, it's either Harad or whatever the name of the Southron country is. I yeah, I think it was I the the South Run country i think oh. it was i i forget yeah because i know this they they say it but i, I forget i want to say like, Havadrim, i want to say is in the east where the easterlings come from but i i don't remember which if, if it was in the east or the south yeah because I, I the so the the two nazgul who are the boss fight and the eltariel dlc that i just talked hmm. about they are two like japanese inspired um like sisters who kill nazgul to get their rings and then they kill their dad who is like the i i guess it would be like the shogun oh. <laughs> of yeah i mean like there, so, there is an like, idea in lord of the rings that middle earth is like a prehistory of actual earth so I guess in that sense, like, the lands that we see of Middle-earth usually are, like, the Europe part of it. And, like, South Run area would be, like, Africa. Easterling would be the Middle yeah. East. And so, I guess, yeah, there, there could be, like, a Japan Far East um, that exists. Yeah. So that that's probably right, is that, you know, the Eastern... Yeah, like they're playing with some of the, the ideas Eastern that area. are only, like implied in the lore, right? Because the 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 ships that show up in Return of the King are like Asian inspired. Yeah. The, you could tell by like the the sails and the way the ships yeah. are built, and the 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 guys riding the elephants are definitely like. Um, I mean, it's at, like. Arabian slash uh, like African tribal inspired. Yeah, because I want to say it wasn't um, uh, Hannibal the guy with the elephants from Northern Africa? Yeah. Hannibal Barca of um, Carthage? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he, he took elephants through the Alps uh, to get to Italy because he's a fucking insane yeah. person. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, like North North Africa slash um, the Middle East. Yeah, that would make yeah. sense. That that. So yeah, the the DLC is you play as Baranor, who goes back to whatever the the 
southern kingdom is that I forget mm. the name of. And obviously he has no magic powers or ring. So the way the way this mode works is if you die, like you lose all your resources. You drop um, all your gold rings. Yeah, like you all the all the fortresses you take get reverted back to orc control and um you lose all your money and stuff like mm. that like i i think the only thing that stays is your story progress and your like the the upgrades you get from like collectibles mm. um but he gets like a magic <laughs> well it's not magic he gets a like It's bas- he basically gets a whole Batman utility belt put on mm. his wrist that, like, it, c- it can shoot things, like, it can shoot arrows, it can form a shield, it has a grappling hook. Like, it- it's it's a Batman Arkham mm. game. Batman Arkham crossed with basically. from the setting? Basically, yeah, except with no time control. Mm. Um... And the story is Baronor goes back and he wants to hire mercenaries. And it just so happens to be that the leader of the mercenaries is his brother. So they they go on a campaign to um, to take the orc stronghold in the area. But you have to constantly um, get more money to be able to pay the mercenaries. Hmm. So that, so you have to, like, take outposts, um, like raid caravans of gold that are going to the fortress, and it's almost like a roguelike because in, instead of, like, in in the main game, like as you kill captains and do missions and stuff, you get experience, and once you level up, you get a skill point, and you put that skill point to use that skill point to like buy a certain skill obviously mm. <laughs> but in in the Baronor DLC like when you when you kill a captain they'll randomly drop an upgrade which is completely random and it could be something simple like your sword does more damage or it could be something weird like when you do a stealth kill, summon a bunch of spiders mm. <laughs> to help you. So there's this el- element of randomness that is very interesting for a game like this, where like the the main game is very obvious. Mm. You know, like you you have these skills, use them to the best of your ability. Mm. Um. But also, you have a grappling hook and a parachute, which is just the the Batman Arkham Glide mm. mechanic, <laughs> with no changes at all. So yeah, that's my favorite. Mm. <laughs> I hope I hope he is in the sequel if one ever gets made, which is not guaranteed to happen. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what's going on with Warner Brothers games lately. Like they announced a bunch of stuff, but there's Warner been Brothers like no in general sucks. Yeah. 
It's like there hasn't really yeah. been any like progress on most of the games that they announced. And last thing I heard was they were talking about selling off WB Games to another company. So I don't know what's going on. Not Microsoft. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it doesn't sound like it actually happened. So yeah. I don't know. I I don't I just don't want like one of the one of the other big publishers to go to one of the console makers because that is just bad for everyone. Mm. Um Yeah, like Bethesda. But yeah. But yeah, if you didn't if you didn't buy Shadow of War because it had the microtransactions and everything, you you can buy it now. That's like all gone. They don't even have the store up anymore. Yeah, it's like twenty bucks they're, at most to get now. Yeah, like you could probably buy the the edition with all the DLC and everything for like fifteen to twenty bucks on sale, yeah. which is. Which is a good buy because the, the DLC is worth it. Mm. Because the, the Baronor DLC is the best part of the game. Yeah, I'd consider playing it again if it was on Switch. But uh, I haven't really bothered with my Xbox lately. Yeah, I didn't play my PS4 for a while until I wanted to play Shadow 4 again. Mm. And then I bought... I saw that they they were doing a summer sale on PlayStation Four, and I I bought the Mafia collection mm. of Mafia One, Two, and Three for like for no reason, just because it was like, oh look, thirty bucks for three games. That seems like a good deal. <laughs> so, yeah, I played Mafia One. It it sure is, it sure is a mafia story. <laughs> it, like like. Prohibition era mafia story, like it, it like it seems like it's hev- heavily inspired by Goodfellas, except earlier. Mm. How does it compare to Yakuza? Um, <laughs> it is not nearly as crazy. There are less chickens named Nugget. Um, like the in in Mafia One, they don't even make you do the open world. Like they have an open world, but they don't make you do anything with it. Hmm. Like you can skip the drives. Um, it, it's the the story mode is like just a a se- sequential like story missions. Like it, you don't have to drive to places every time. Hmm. Well, I. I should say that this is like a remake that they did, like last year, I think. Oh, okay. So it, it's it's probably completely different from the like first Mafia game on I think like PS2 and Xbox. Yeah, maybe they made it so um, you could skip the open world segments because they were bad. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Like you still can do the open world. Um, like it's a separate game mm-hmm. mode. Like you, you just don't have any mission objectives, but I think you can like steal certain cars that you can't get in the story mode or something like mm. that. I, 
I I selected it just to see what would happen, and yep, it put me in the it put me in the world, and then I deleted it to make room for Mafia Two, which I haven't gotten into yet. Mafia One is a very good like mafia story, even if it is just like all the mafia story tropes. Mm. <laughs> it's like. Oh, hey, look, they sell booze, and they sometimes betray each other, and um, people that the main character are friends with die for no, die for seemingly no reason. Mm. And then at the end, he has to kill one of his friends. Spoilers. Do you have to kill a horse? No, I don't think there are any horses in oh. the game. Mm. There is one part where you have to do a race. And the race is very hard. <laughs> because the, the game has, you know, quote-unquote realistic controls mm. when it comes to cars. Which just means that they handle like shit and can't take corners oh. at mm. speed. But, I mean, it's also like 1930s cars, yeah. so whatever. Alright, do you have anything else? Because I kind of have to be. Yeah, so. I mean, we're up to time. The only other thing I have is that Super Squidlet is out, and it's a cute game. Um, I think it's like 10 bucks compared... Like, the original Squidlet was like 2 bucks, And that one, it, it, it's very short. You can beat the whole game in an hour easily. And it's, um, you know, like inspired by like Game Boy games. This new one is inspired by Game Boy Color games. It's got... I think six like world areas to go through and um like first person shooter segments that take some getting used to because it's done in like very old style so yeah it, like it, it's a little hard on the eyes until you you know kind of get used to it um definitely put it went cause in the first person shooter segments you get like uh, you level up by killing enemies, um, and if anybody takes me up on this uh, recommendation to play it, um, I recommend you put your points into the oomph stat first to increase the power of your spells because it will make it so much easier. You can just kill things faster, and you're not, you know, stuck having to try to evade and gain your health back. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it's you know, it's a very fun, cute platformer they expand the lore which is surprising because in the first game like there's like some implied lore but it's mostly just silly things that characters are saying and it actually kind of expands into stuff it's still not i wouldn't call it serious it's still you know fun and silly and cute but there are like uh explanations for why things are the way they are in this world of mostly squishy little octopuses and bugs and stuff <laughs> um but yeah that's it i don't know if there's much more to say about the game yeah. play it if you're inclined to play a cute game where you play as an octopus that inks on things and um yeah you can also roll into things now so they added a second attack nice you can diddy kong your way yeah through the game yeah and it's like your abilities are like jump shoot ink while you're in the air uh when you're swimming you can also shoot ink except it's like an octopus so it shoots out behind you um 
and you can roll, which you, they also, you can, like, chain your rolling and squirting to, like, bounce your way up a wall. Cut. You know, you, you just keep ramming your head into a wall over and over, and you gain a little height every time, so that's the thing you have to do to, like, climb walls, which, you know, makes it easier to explore stuff. Um, but, yeah. Uh... Should we close out with um, more Lord of the Rings memes? Well, also I played Donut County. Oh, yeah. Jade already talked about it like a year yep. ago. Um, it's really charming and it kind of makes you feel guilty, but it's a good way to kill two hours. Yeah, well, you just you drop things into a hole and then your hole gets bigger and you drop more things into the hole. And it's all yep. innocent people whose lives you're ruining by dropping in the hole, but it's part of a scripted story, so whatever. Yep. Um, um, the world of men is something. <laughs> mm. It sure is. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're ending on yeah. that <laughs> because that that was terrible. So that means we got to end. That's the worst way to end a podcast. <laughs>